This episode is brought to you by Libro FM, the first and only company that lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Ours is the Reading Rock Books in Dixon, Tennessee. You can pick from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a different story, one that supports the community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dogs, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, booksellers. The Good Old Days has a special offer for you. Get two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code OLDDAYS, all one word, O-L-D-D-A-Y-S, Old Days. There's also a special offer until the end of 2020 for the holidays. When you buy a 12-month Libro FM gift membership, either for yourself or for someone else, half of that will go directly to the bookstore of your choice. The offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S. Now on to our show. This is The Good Old Days, a podcast at the corner of history and true crime. I'm Maggie Coomer. And I'm Jasmine Brand. Welcome back. Before we get started, make sure to subscribe to The Good Old Days podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, FYI, all of our episodes are located at thegoodolddayspod.com. So check out our website. What are we talking about today, Jasmine? Well, and before we get into it, I just want to say we're live streaming this currently on our TikTok. So... (laughs) If anyone wants to potentially see any future live streams, follow us at the Good Old Days Pod. And that goes for Instagram and Twitter as well. I'm sure we'll play with live streaming on those platforms at some point. It feels way more real on Instagram. Like, I feel like TikTok almost, it's like you can just, I don't know. It's like you're part of some sort of squishy sponge like <laughs> material and you just fade into it in a way you know yeah i mean Leaving this, no footprint yeah this doesn't get recorded well unless if anyone is screen recording us which i doubt yeah i mean that um, would be a waste of time yeah <laughs> <laughs> but watch us <laughs> do something better with your life <laughs> um but yeah so if you want to po- possibly see all the work that goes into this because we'll probably record for what, the next 45 minutes? And you'll get a 15-minute shiny episode out of this. Yeah. Maybe a little bit longer. This is a long story. Okay. Um, but getting into the story, we are talking about a murder and slashing that happened in Mountain View, California. So thank you, Mountain View, for being in our top four cities. Not just our top, our number one. Mountain View, California, repping hard for the Good Old Days podcast. I think like you represent like a quarter of our total listenership is in Mountain View, California. So thank you. We really appreciate you. And I just want to give you an idea of how many cities there are. Because you might be listening and if you don't do podcasting, you're probably like, oh, yeah, but how many places really are listening? And as of right this moment, we have just over the last five episodes, 80 cities Jeez, recorded. I love it. And Mountain View is 26% 
of our downloads over the last five episodes. I was close. Over our entire episode catalog, which this is, what, 25 of our full length? and uh, Yeah, this is our, we just finished recording our 25th full length episode, which some of our short stacks were a little longer. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, technically 25 full length episodes. Yeah. And over the entirety, so we've been going since June, over our entire history, there is 1,128 cities that have tuned in. That's insane. Yeah. And Mountain View, California is 8%. Mountain View. Way to go, man. I know. Repping hard. So I really appreciate you in Mountain View. And so it took me a while to find a story for you because... You know what I want to say? We just decided on our new logo. And so anybody in Mountain View, California, who wants a sticker of our new logo once we roll it out, send us an email. Go to our website at thegoodolddayspod.com. Send us a contact form uh, with where you want us to send the sticker and you'll get a sticker free free, free of charge from the Good Old Days Pod just as an appreciation. So thank y'all so much. Yeah? Yeah, okay. absolutely. That's a great idea. Cool. Okay. Well, shall we get into the story? We absolutely should. I'm so excited. Yes, me too. Okay. So we have to go back to 1932 for this story. Mm-hmm. Like, like I said, it took me a while to find something that was good. But this is a really good story. It was, okay. worth, it was worth the hunt. All right. And it takes place in the early hours of July 26 in 1932. Okay. July 1932. Mm-hmm. Got it. Early hours. So early morning hours. A Mr. William Ryder Babcock... They're, they're as wealthy as they sound. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take tea uh, on the veranda. Exactly that. <laughs> um, <laughs> was awoken by violent and terrified screams. Oh, okay. Noticing that his wife, Lillian, was not in the bed next to him. He obviously leaped into action. Sure. To try and find the location of where the noise was coming from. He kind of put two and two together in his groggy state. Now, when he gets to that, and it's like in this hallway in this big house that they're staying in, Mm -hmm. he finds a tall young man armed with a 10-inch butcher knife. Whoa. I think that's more like a machete. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's described as a butcher knife, but, you know, it's... That (laughs) 10-inch blade? It's a decent size. That's a big knife. That's a huge knife. Yikes. All right. And, you know, this guy's attacking his wife. So oh my God. obviously she's screaming. Yeah. yeah. So like awoken in the middle of the night, runs into this room, sees this altercation happening. And his immediate instinct was to go and like push the guy off of her. Well, then the guy turns to him, starts attacking him with this knife. And his wife is trying to make it away towards her son's room. Her son's name was Charles Brown. He was... um, Charlie Brown. Yeah. But he was her son from a a former relationship. And she doesn't make it. She makes it to like the end of the hallway and drops because her throat had been slit. So her son, Charles, Charlie had also woken up to the sounds of her screaming and made it to the room just as she had fallen on the floor. So he gets there to see the attacker run off and his, I guess, stepfather, like covered in blood with tons of wounds himself from this knife and his mother on the ground bleeding out. Yikes. It's a bad day. Yeah. Really bad day. Really, really bad day. 
Mr. Babcock is taken straight to the hospital because he has wounds and he's going to be in the hospital for over a week. I find little references to this. This is all pulled from a newspaper story. Uh, What newspaper? It was the Oakland Observer. Okay. So I tried to stick with one newspaper to keep it continuous and keep the facts kind of in line. Mm -hmm. But they actually contradict themselves a decent amount (laughs) within this case. So but I did stick with one newspaper to try and give it some sort of continuity. Okay. Um, Yeah. So Mr. Babcock's wounds were bad enough that he's in the hospital for at least a week, probably more, because the reference I find is that a week later he's in hospital. He's got pneumonia like They don't know if he's going to live or not. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, you know, the police are called. They show up before Mr. Babcock's taken to the hospital. They get a short statement from him. And really all they get out of both him and Charles is that the guy who did this was young, smooth shaven and very tall. Okay, that's it. That's all they have to go on. So the police, you know, after they question the two prime witnesses, Hunt around the house for a few clues. And they actually find the knife still there. Oh, where was it? In front of the house in a can of kerosene. Oh. So they assume, of course, that the killer, because Mrs. Babcock does pass away at the scene. Yikes. Not good. No. um, They assume that the killer brought the kerosene with him as well. So had intended to maybe burn the house down as well. Sure. After killing everyone inside. Yeah. And the knife they discovered had been purchased specifically for this gruesome task because it still had the price tag on it. Now, this is going to be a super high profile case because this is a very wealthy family in the area. Mm -hmm. Very well known. And it makes all of the headlines for like the next couple of days. And because it's such a high profile case, of course, the entire area hears about it. So by the next afternoon, the police had managed to track down this tall young man. Okay. And his name was George Douglas Templeton Jr. Okay. Doesn't sound familiar because it's... George Templeton Jr.? George Douglas Templeton Jr. Oh. Um, (laughs) Gotta be official. Right. And as it turns out, he was Mrs. Babcock's nephew. Oh, uh-oh. Yes. Okay. So, okay. Well, then, okay. I, I, I Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> it gets confusing because there's a lot of family involved. So they find him and they find him because after he left the house, he went to a nearby farm that his friend owned. And the friend like heard of, an in- uh, heard of the incident through a third party. And he's like, hey, this guy that I know showed up at my house and changed his pants last night and they were covered in blood. <laughs> huh. I wonder if there's Just anything going on vicious. there. <laughs> yeah. So he turned him into the police, basically. So they find him with like, it, it doesn't take them very long after they get this tip and they take him to the city jail and interrogate him until he breaks. Sure. And I don't know what kind of interrogation this is. This is 1932. But anyway, he was interrogated until he broke, is what the news said. And he gives a full confession. He says that he had wanted to kill Mrs. Babcock and her husband, Mr. Babcock, because he believed that his father, who was Mrs. Babcock's brother, again, lots of family gets confusing, would have benefited financially. Okay. So think about it. 1932, what's going on in the world? 
Great Depression. Yeah. So money is a really big thing. But this family, it seems like they're wealthy enough where this is just literally squabbling over family estates. Well, that's stranger things have happened. Yes. But like they're all in housing. Like they don't seem to be out of work. It doesn't seem to be like a, if I don't get this money, I'm going to go without sort of thing. Like literally a quarter of the country was at this point. But anyway, um, apparently... Mrs. Babcock and her brother had been involved in like a really long, brutal legal battle over the family's estate. So not even their own property, but like someone had died in the family and they were fighting over who got what. Okay. The newspaper, and I really liked how it put it, said that it had built up a, quote, smoldering resentment. Oh. Between the two. A smoldering resentment. Like, yes. Put some of that flowery language in there. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) And then he also says, and this is also kind of confusing because I have no idea what part of the family he's talking about here. And they don't clarify. Templeton says that he believes that the affections and attentions of his uncle, I'm assuming he means Mr. Babcock, okay, had shifted towards Charles. So Mrs. Babcock's son. And well, duh. Yeah. Which makes perfect sense. I mean, he's living with them. He's traveled with them. Like, it's his wife's kid. Yeah. I mean, like. Rather than his wife's nephew. But I guess if he just came into the picture and things had changed, that would be, I mean, that makes sense to me. A guy mad with rage, flying off the handle and getting rid of somebody who's about to take his inheritance. Yeah. So he was mad because... That's a tale as old as time. Yeah. So he was mad because he thought like Charles was going to get part of the Babcock's estate that should have gone to him in his view, Mm -hmm. which it would have always gone to the son anyway unless if the son had been estranged so i don't there's something missing there from that part of the story but also it's interesting to me that he doesn't target charles like he never admits to like charles being part of his like murderous spree okay so charles wasn't the target even though he says that he's mad at him over this like lost affection yeah Yeah. like okay so if he lost affection wouldn't it be better to either take out the the dude who's who stands to inherit everything mm-hmm. or just try to get back in the good graces yeah i don't know, know. That it's really weird there's a couple of different things that are weird so i'll finish up <clears throat> like the rest of his admission and then i'll tell you all of the strange things okay so in the rest of his admission he states that he intended to sneak into the house kill the couple and then light the house on fire to cover his crimes um except he says that he made too much noise getting into the house i think he broke a window and it alerted Mrs. Babcock, who ran into the room, mm-hmm. like covered in bedclothes, he said, like blankets and things. Mm-hmm. So it was like too thick for the knife to go through, which is why he was having such trouble. And like she, she started fighting. Yeah. Yes. The screams then alerted the rest of the family. He tried to get into this scuffle with Mr. Babcock, realized that he wasn't strong enough to use the knife in the way that he thought Mm -hmm. evidently had not gone around stabbing a whole lot of people before, which is probably good. Um, Which is definitely good. (laughs) Which is probably good. (laughs) And so like once Charles, once he can like hear and see Charles coming, he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm out of here. Yeah. And he flees. And on top of the fact that he isn't targeting Charles apart from maybe he would have been caught up in this fire. But if you're going to go for a double homicide, why not go for a triple? Honestly? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe my, my thought process is 
super messed well, up. Well, I mean, there's not, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's kind of like, well, you've already done it twice. Like, take out the last person who's going to be a witness or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. they seem to have beef. It wasn't like, oh, right. I'm not targeting him because I don't care. Like, he says he has beef with Charles. Yeah. And then on top of that, he mentions at the beginning of his admission that this was not like his other perfect crimes. And I just want to know what are those crimes? What other perfect crimes has he committed? So that was really strange. And he also makes a point to make a statement after that weird statement that he was the only person implicated in the killings and the slashing and no one else was there. Well, he's the only person who's like... The witness statements only says that one person was there. So Mm -hmm. why would he need to say that he's the only person? Right. Which is weird. I guess maybe it's just important from a legality standpoint to establish the facts of the case. Maybe. Yeah. But it was just kind of weird that it was such a formal part of his statement. It wasn't like it said the police asked him if he acted alone and Mm -hmm. he said yes or no. It was he stated uh, there's no one else that needs to be implicated in this. I acted alone. Like that's suspicious. Yeah, it was like a super formal. It's like I am the only one who should be held responsible for this. Well, why are you even posing that question? Did, was there what, is there any doubt to that? Yeah. So it's really weird. Is there an, is there a supposed accomplice? Well, none that ever comes up. But the trial gets a little weird too. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's what we're going to get into next. His lawyers tried to establish some sort of an alibi for him. And they basically found this like cute little blonde girl named Claire (laughs) and was like, "Okay, you're going to say that he was with you the whole night and it was fine. And she basically like loses it on the stand and just breaks down. Yeah. Breaks down, like admits to the whole lie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm lying. I'm lying. (laughs) And it's like a whole big theatrical thing. And I'm sure the newspapers played it up. But. You know, so that completely crumbles. So he no longer has an alibi. On top of that, that friend that I mentioned that just happened to hear about this case from a third party and was Mm -hmm. like, oh, my friend showed up here with bloody pants. (laughs) Like, must have been him. Sure. He also is called to the stand by the prosecution. But this time his story changed. He said that he went to the police because Templeton had admitted to him that he tried to kill his aunt and uncle. And not only that, but he also gave a full admission about wanting to burn the house down as well. So that whole part of the story and told him the name of this girl, Claire, who he said was going to be his alibi. Oh, so it's really interesting that all of a sudden this friend of Templeton's was like, oh, actually, I know all of these details, but I just decided not to disclose it to the police until the next afternoon. But he never gets brought up. I I needed to go home and get some sleep and take a shower and get some coffee. I had to get a muffin and then they got the wrong muffin and then I had to go back for them. (laughs) It's like, why did you wait? Yeah, it's like and then I'm like, oh, I probably should tell someone about this. (laughs) Like, okay, great. (laughs) If he gave you a full admission. People are stupid. Yeah. So I don't believe him. I think that he was I think there's something fishy there. But anyway, what do I know? So that all happens in the preliminary hearing. Now, because of his alibi being thrown out, his lawyers say that they plan to enter a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. Uh. <laughs> Classic, right? God. But luckily for the the prosecution and the Babcock family and Charles, uh, uh, Charles Brown, Charlie Brown, uh, 
<laughs> um, the judge that gets assigned to this case is not having any of that. And the case is actually not seen for another, let's see, that was August that the preliminary hearing happens in. This is October that the case like goes fully underway. Yeah, that goes to trial. And the judge is just like, "Uh uh-uh, like no way. The only reason you're claiming this insanity thing is because your alibi got thrown out. And this might have been because of how insanity is defined legally. And when we think of like the insanity defense, we're thinking of like someone who is mentally ill, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily true. Like for law, I found that to be guilty by reason of insanity has very little to do with the person's overall health unless if they're saying there's a pre-existing condition that influenced their actions in that moment. It's usually like I snapped and went crazy. Yeah. 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 So it's basically like in that moment, did you have the mental capacity? To be able to tell right or wrong. Yes. So using my legally blonde... Uh, terminology, the mens rea is what it's referring to. Is like, is the intent there? Sure. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the opposite term, but you know, it's fine. mens rea. <laughs> I'm not here for a legal lesson. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So is like, is the intent there? And yeah. that's essentially what the plea of insanity is is trying to establish. And they said, well, th- there's enough you know, premeditated information here that we know he intended to commit a crime, especially because, you know, you've got the knife with the price tag on it. You've got the can of kerosene. And this has clearly like been thought out. In fact, premeditated. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, in the trial, it would come out that he had basically cased the house for a week before he commits this. Oh, so this is super planned out. Like really planned, really, really planned. So premeditated murder. So death penalty. Potentially, potentially. That's what they're fighting for. And I also wanted to point out this is different. There's also pleas, which I found because I just thought, oh, got the plea of guilty by reason of insane, not guilty by reason of insanity. But there's also not guilty by reason of temporary insanity, which is like, yes, you just have that one moment. Yeah. Um, and there's also you can plead guilty but insane or mentally ill. So you're recognizing, I mean, it's basically the same as not guilty by reason of insanity. It's a recognition of guilt, but you aren't responsible because of the state of your well-being. Right. Which is interesting. So anyway. it's just like like where you place the blame, whether or not it was you were an active, like, like malicious intent perpetrator versus I snapped and I didn't know what I was doing. And that's why I committed this heinous crime. Yeah, it's all about intent because that, of course, indicates which degree it is. Right. Is where your intent lies. So that's a really important point. Yeah. But anyway, they say he's not re- not guilty by reason of insanity. The judge is like, no, nope, no, nope, we're not going to have that. Yeah. And so they have to really like establish this in other ways. So they get his parents to testify for him um, and like... Basically, the defense and the prosecution is going back and forth over what counts towards establishing mental health and not. So the whole trial is kind of a mess. <laughs> the newspapers there and they're like, yeah, and while all of this is happening, uh, Templeton is like half asleep. <laughs> He's like oh, dozing no. in and out. Yeah. Like God. this is really hard on his family. Like both of his parents are there. Obviously, it's their family too because it you know it's all in the family his sister collapses because you said this guy is the son of 
the brother of the woman he killed. Yes. Yeah, so his his dad uh-huh. is Lillian Babcock's brother, Templeton's sister. She collapses the first day of trial, like, you know, has a big fainting Where fit. Where the smelling salts? Yeah. And so she can't even be present. She can't testify. Like, she's just so overcome with, like, yeah. distress, I guess. I don't know. Now flashing to the end of this trial. And again, that's all I find. I guess that was, like, the most sensational part of this, which, considering all the details, I was really hoping to find more. But that's it. Yeah. I get this one article in October. And then flash forward to November 2nd, 1932. And I found it was the tiniest little clip, like a couple of sentences. And all it said was that Templeton had been sentenced to life in prison at San Quentin. And his mother was seen like uncontrollably crying. Oh, well, dude, these these guys' mothers, they always stick with them. They really I do. I mean, I guess it's just, yeah. I, I guess I, it's your kid. It's but... your kid. What are you going to do? So I don't know. And that's that's all I found. Like I guess so. I guess he avoided the death penalty, um, and spent I don't the know rest. How. I have no idea. Like the 1930s, they were like death penalty for you. You get the death penalty. You get the death penalty. Yeah. Well, and his <laughs> like, lawyers let's fry these suckers in an electric chair. Like yeah. <laughs> what the? Well, and I just like imagine like imagine like all the old timey court sort of scenes that you've seen yeah. in like old movies. My favorite movie is The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, okay, one of my top five. Okay. Well, that was a great story, Jasmine. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks again, Mountain View, California. (laughs) We love you. And uh, folks, just a reminder, please remember to subscribe to the Good Old Days podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and head to our website at thegoodolddayspod.com. Jasmine, how can they access our social stuff? Give us a search on Google or go to your favorite social media platform. If you're looking for us on Twitter, it's the Good OD Pod. And if you're looking for us on pretty much everything else so tiktok facebook instagram it's the good old days pod perfect all right well folks uh have a happy weekend goodbye Bye. Bye.